Take your Bibles and turn with me this morning to Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9. I love the beginning of a new year. I, uh, I know that a lot of people can be cynical about a new year. It is, yes, just another day on the calendar. I know that the older we get and the more that we have made resolutions and they have not uh, born much fruit. We even get more cynical about a new year. So I understand that and I understand that there is a tendency to be cynical, but I think it is right and good and listen, even godly to embrace a new year and to make new resolutions and to have a moment to start fresh. And one of the reasons for that is because you read through the Old Testament, it's amazing how many times God renews the covenant with his people. He'll bring his people to a moment, he'll stop, And he'll say, I want to remind you of what I've done for you, and I want you to renew your covenant to me, that there is something about a time of renewal that matters. There is something about stopping for a moment and saying, I want to do things differently. And so, cynical or not, I I just want to know that I have hopes for you this year. I have hopes for myself, and as your pastor, who has been given the responsibility to lead and equip you, Uh, I do have some things I want to see happen in our life this year, and I believe that for you. I believe that good things can happen. I believe that this can be a better year than last year in terms of your relationship with the Lord. And I want to begin this year by giving you one simple challenge. For many of you, it will be a challenge that you accepted years and years ago, and so it will be a, a bit of a refresher to you and maybe a challenge to go a little bit further. Some of you have heard this challenge before, but not accepted it. Some of you may have never heard this challenge before. It is the simplest of challenges. It is the most basic of challenges, but it is the most foundation of all challenges. And it is simply this. I want to challenge you in this new year to walk with Jesus. I want to challenge you to walk with Jesus. I say it is the most foundational because everything flows out of this. Everything. Everything in your life flows out of your personal relationship with Jesus Christ. It is absolutely foundational. You don't go beyond this. This is the foundation of everything in your life, your own personal devotion, your time alone with God. But even though it is the simplest and most basic and most foundational part of our relationship with Jesus, I've discovered just in years of pastoral ministry and a lot of mentoring in uh, a lot of counseling, is that this simple challenge is also the most neglected. And I'm always amazed as I ask people about their time with the Lord, their personal Bible reading and their prayer time and their fasting, their giving, their serving, how often this is the most neglected part of life. There is nothing in me this morning that wants to put any guilt on you for any of neglect that has been in the past. What I want to do is just challenge you and empower you for the days ahead. I want you to start new and afresh in a new commitment. Just walk with Jesus on a daily basis. We talk here at Prince about our mission and our method. Our mission is what God has called us to do. This is the end. This is the goal of everything we do as a church. Our method is how we're going to do that. How we're going to accomplish the mission. It's one thing to say, here's our mission. It's another thing to say, we actually have a plan, a method of how to accomplish it. So our mission is this. We want to lead people to trust and follow Jesus. I don't want that to be abstract. We want to lead you, lead you to trust Jesus 
and to follow Jesus for the first time, or if you've been doing it for 40 years, we still want to lead you to trust Jesus more, to follow Jesus more. That's the end. That's all we do for the glory of God, leading people to trust and follow Jesus. Our method for accomplishing that is this. We want to equip you to live an upward life of worship, an inward life in community, and an outward life on mission with God. What that means is Ephesians 4 tells us that the responsibility of the pastors is not to do the work of the ministry, but to equip people for the work of the ministry. So we want to equip you in your personal relationship with Jesus Christ. You and Jesus want to equip you to know how to, how to do that. We want to equip you and challenge you in your relationship with one another, a life and community, and we want to equip you to do all of that while on mission with God, leading other people to trust and follow Jesus. So this is how this becomes reproducible. We want to lead you to trust and follow Jesus, and we want to equip you in your relationship with Jesus, others, and then to continue to lead more people to trust and follow Jesus. We believe, based on what Scripture tells us, if you're growing in those three areas, those three areas, your relationship with Jesus, others, and on mission, you're going to be a growing disciple of Jesus Christ. And so we want to equip you in those areas. Now, the first five weeks of this year, starting this morning, I want to spend focused on that upward life of worship, your personal relationship with Jesus Christ, that part of your life which matters more than everything else in life. Listen, and that part of your life which no one else really sees but you. This is the challenge. I mean, one of the great challenges of our personal relationship with Jesus is it's possible for you to come here every week and yet not really have a personal relationship with Jesus. It is possible for you to come week after week but yet not have spent time in the Word or cultivating this relationship or praying or hearing from God or practicing any of those most basic things. It's possible. I've done it, you've done it, we've all done it. So what we want to talk about in the next few weeks is this daily personal walk with Jesus. That which no one else sees but you. That which affects everything else in your life. And I'll promise you, people may not see it if you're not doing it. But once you start doing it, people will notice. Because it affects everything else in the rest of your life. So when I say walk with Jesus, this phrase we've used over and over and you've heard before... What do I mean by a walk with Jesus? Well, let's start by looking at what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, and then we'll figure out what it means to walk with Jesus. So I told you that our mission is to lead people to trust and follow Jesus. That's it. Now, the reason that's our mission is because we believe that's what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. You've heard me say this before. Uh, the church doesn't have the right to come up with its own mission statement because Jesus gave us a mission statement in Matthew 28. Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations. That's the mission of every church. The church exists for the glory of God to make disciples. That's it. That's the great end. But the question often is, well, what's a disciple? Well, a disciple is someone who trusts and follows Jesus. That's why we say, instead of saying our uh, mission is to make disciples, which it is, we want to say it a little clearer. We want to say we want to lead people to trust and follow Jesus. That's what it means to be a disciple. In other words, we're not just trying to make believers. We're not just trying to make thinkers. We're not just trying to make rule followers. We're trying to make disciples. We, we want to cultivate people who trust Jesus and follow him. 
And Luke chapter 9 gives us a really good example of how those two things work together and make a disciple of Jesus Christ. So look at Luke chapter 9, starting in verse 18. If you're there, say amen. I want to read a few verses. It says, Now it happened that as he, Jesus, was praying alone, the disciples were with him. And he asked them, Who do the crowds say that I am? And they answered, Well, John the Baptist. But others say, Elijah, and others that one of the prophets of old has risen. And then Jesus asked them a more personal question, which every one of us has to answer. Then he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered, the Christ of God. Now this is a massive moment. And the reason is, is because they've already been walking with Jesus for a couple of years. And even the chapter before this, they still don't seem to get who Jesus is. They are very slow to come to recognize that Jesus is the Messiah because he's not exactly what they expected. But here, they finally get it. They make this confession with their mouth. They make this declaration, we believe you're the Christ, meaning the promised one, the Messiah. We believe that you're the Savior. We believe that you have been sent by God and our God in the flesh to save us from our sins. We believe you've come to accomplish this work of redemption, to purchase us out of slavery from sin and bring us into a relationship with God the Father. This is a declaration of trust in Jesus and who he is and what he's done. So they're trusting Jesus. We know who you are. We believe that you're the Christ and we trust you. But look at their response to this. It says, and he strictly charges, verse 21, and commands them to tell no one saying, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. Now, this command to not tell anyone does not apply to us anymore, okay? This was specifically because Jesus knew his time had not yet come and the more this got out, the more it hurried his time. And so he says, listen, I understand this, but there are things that still need to be accomplished. And so he said, this is for you to know. I'm glad to know that you're trusting and believing, but... You don't tell anyone right now because there's still things to be accomplished. But look at what he says in verse 23. So they've trusted Jesus. They believe in who he is. Here's the response to that. And he said to all, if anyone would come after me. In other words, if anyone wants to be a disciple, if anyone wants to be a Christian, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For, yeah, for whoever saves his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? Now, this is interesting because they have already made their declaration. They confessed with their mouth, Romans 9, Jesus, we believe you're the Savior and the Lord. Jesus says, okay, that's great. Now, the response to this is following me. In other words, if you want to come after me, if you want to be a disciple, if you actually want to be a Christian, then the evidence of your faith and the evidence of your confession is that you will begin a life of following me. He says, if you want to come after me, if you want to be a disciple, and this is still true for us, because he says, if anyone wants to come after me, do you want to be a Christian? Do you you want to be a disciple? If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. Meaning, we now consistently, daily, sacrifice our own desires, hopes, dreams for the Lord's. We have now made a declaration that Jesus, you are not only Savior, but you are my Lord. You are the boss. You are the King. You make the decisions. And so I am 
consciously making a choice to deny self, my desires, and choose to submit to yours. To take up your cross daily, meaning every day, not just one moment, every day I die to myself. Every day I say, this is not about me, this is about you, you are the center of my life, I exist for you, and then follow me. A few years ago, I I was preaching a series on following Jesus, and my father used to listen to all of my sermons and call, I don't know how to say this, critique them is the only way I know how to say this. He He would often wait till Christmas, and at Christmas dinner would just kind of give a good critique of my preaching, which was sometimes helpful. He he called me one time and he said, Josh, you're saying something that doesn't make sense. I heard you say in a sermon, if you want to follow Jesus, then you have to follow Jesus. He said, Josh, that doesn't make any sense. I said, Dad, I know, but, but here's what I'm trying to communicate. But there's a lot of people out there that say they're followers of Jesus, but they're not actually following Jesus. Isn't this true? I'm a follower of Jesus, but they're not following Jesus. And so I just think it's important to communicate that if you want to be a follower of Jesus, just know this, you have to actually follow Jesus. Right? Like you you have to be following Jesus. He's leading. You're dying to self. You're denying self and letting Jesus be the Lord of your life. So don't say you're a follower of Jesus if you're not following Jesus. I think it does matter to say that. This is a relational call, a call to come and to be in a relationship with Jesus. It's personal, it's practical, it's sacrificial, and it's, it's daily. It's every day choosing a life of following Jesus Christ, the one who you believe to be Lord and Savior. Now, take your Bibles and turn back just a couple of pages to Luke 5. I love that sound. You hear that sound? That's a great sound. There's a great example of this in Luke 5, 27 and 28. A great example of what it means to be a disciple from someone who was one of the first disciples. So, it says this. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector named Levi, who we know as Matthew, sitting at the tax booth. So, Levi is minding his own business. He is there at his tax booth. He's collecting taxes. Jesus walks by and it says this, and he said to him, follow me. That was Jesus' invitation to be a Christian. Come and follow me. Meaning you're only going to follow me if you believe I know where I'm going. So if you believe I'm the way, if you believe I'm the truth, if you believe I'm the life, then Matthew, I'm inviting you to come and follow me. Look at his response. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. Now, I've always thought is if at the end of Jesus' life, he said, go make disciples, it would make sense to look back at how Jesus made disciples and come to the conclusion, maybe, just maybe, Jesus wanted us to keep doing the same thing he was doing. What Jesus was doing here is saying this, Matthew, do you believe who I am? Well, then demonstrate that by following me. Would Would Matthew have been a disciple if he would have said, Jesus... I believe you, that's great, but I'm not going to follow you. Now, the evidence that he was a disciple is he got up and he left everything and followed. In other words, he denied himself, he took up his cross, and he followed Jesus. He became a disciple, which really means to enter into a lifelong apprenticeship with Jesus. I'm going to learn from Jesus. I'm going to 
be like Jesus. I'm going to stay close to Jesus, so in doing, I will become more like him. And that's, that's what we want to do at Prince. We, we want to make disciples of Jesus Christ. We want to call you into this lifelong apprenticeship with Jesus, this lifelong pursuit of intimacy and closeness with Jesus. We want you to, to follow Jesus. Now, this has some challenges for us. There's a couple I can think of specifically. I think one of the challenges for us is the challenge of the gospel we might have first heard. This really started in the 1950s when things got a little bit more pragmatic and there was a lot of stuff on what we would say, not revival, but revivalism on these guides of how to make a revival happen in a church. You could, as a pastor, get a guide that guaranteed revival would happen in the church and churches would do this and uh, revival wouldn't come, but they would manufacture something. And what ended up happening was this, is that pastors in churches, in a desire to get more people, ask less of people. So they, they knew this, that if you preached a Luke 9 gospel, you weren't going to get many people. If you preached a Luke 5 gospel, you weren't going to get a lot of people. But if, if you just, at the end of the sermon, said, repeat this prayer after me and raise your hand if you repeated the prayer and then didn't ask anything else of people, you'd get a lot of people. And that's, that's what the church began to do. So we begin to preach a gospel that says this, if you say this prayer, you're good. And by not saying anything else, what the church communicated is this, is that the prayer is the end, not the beginning. But once you've said that prayer, you're good, it's done. And many of you had this experience. You prayed a prayer and no one ever said anything to you after that. They never talked to you about what it meant to to follow Jesus and what they communicated to you in the church without them saying anything is that you had done it. It was done. You did that. Now you move on to something else. Now listen, it is important to say some kind of prayer. Romans 10, 9 says, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. So there needs to be a moment, listen carefully, there needs to be a moment in everyone's life, a Luke 9, Peter moment, in which you say, I believe that Jesus, you're the Lord and Savior. I believe that my own good works won't get me to heaven, that I have to trust in your death on the cross to save me. And so I'm trusting on what you did to get me to heaven, not on what I can do. But that moment in which you do that is the beginning, not the end. That's the start of a new relationship when from that moment on, you choose to follow Jesus. And so our mission as a church is not to get people to raise their hand and say a prayer. It's to make disciples, to call you to trust and follow Jesus and to plead with you to keep on doing that day after day. And then to equip you what it looks like to live in this apprenticeship, this learning process, this relationship with Jesus Christ. But sometimes that gospel we heard is a challenge for us in believing the gospel that Jesus preached. Another challenge for us is the challenge of of following Jesus by faith and not by sight. Now, I don't know if it was easier for Matthew or harder for Matthew. Think about this. I think in one way it was harder for Matthew because everybody knew if he was doing this or not. I don't know if you're following Jesus or not. But when Jesus came and said, Matthew, follow me, Jesus knew if Matthew was following because he was there. And everyone else knew if Matthew was following because he was with Jesus. 
So in some ways that was easier. In some ways it was a lot more difficult because Matthew actually had to do it. (laughs) He had to deny himself and take up his cross in front of everyone and submit his life to the authority of Jesus. Say, Jesus, my will doesn't matter anymore. Your will matters. So I'm with you. I'm following you. I'm watching whatever you call me to do. I'll do. It's both maybe a little bit simpler and a lot more difficult. But the challenge for us is that I'm calling you to follow someone that you actually can't see. But follow me is, is, is not just a metaphor. This is not a picture of what it looks like to be a Christian. No, the command of Luke 9.23 still exists for us because he says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. This is not a one-time decision. It is a decision that leads to a life of daily choosing Jesus. This is not a metaphor. This is a command to actually follow Jesus. I spent the latter part of, of last year uh, really meditating on John fourteen six, where it says, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I was thinking a lot about how we as a church, we love the truth. We love to hear preaching. We, we love to know new things. We love Jesus as truth. And we love Jesus as life, meaning we want all of his life. We want his peace. We want his wisdom. We want his joy. We want all of the things that come with a relationship with Jesus. But oftentimes we try to get his truth and we try to get his life without following his way. So Jesus invites us into this process in which we enter into a relationship with him and we cultivate that relationship without our life. Jesus is saying, I'm away. I'm leading you in a path. I'm leading you to a destination. I'm away. And as, listen, as you walk the way, as you follow me, you come to learn more truth and you come to experience more of my life. But don't expect to know the truth and experience the life without walking the way. Jesus is not simply a truth we believe. Jesus is a person that we follow. On a daily basis, we follow Jesus. And here's what I would say to you. What that looks like practically is what we would call walking with Jesus. So when I say walking with Jesus, what I'm talking about is this. I'm talking about a practical, a personal, and a daily discipline of following Jesus Christ. I'd encourage you to write that down. It's a practical, personal, daily discipline of following Jesus. You say, well, well, what does it mean to follow Jesus? Well, if if you really want to know what it means, it means daily, practically, personally, following Jesus. Now, think about this with me. What I mean is it's practical. This is practical. It means you read your Bible. It means you pray. And it means you give, and it means you get into church, and it means you serve. If you are starting the beginning of a new year, and maybe you're here, and you're not often here, and you're saying, I want to start afresh, let me just tell you, there's some very practical things to do. It's the basic things to do. You read your Bible, you you pray, you get in with a community group, you start to live life with other believers, you give, you gather. It's, It's really practical. Walking with Jesus is practical. It's also personal. You're not following rules. You're following a person. My goal is not to get you to follow rules. My goal is not even to get you to read a book. I'm getting you to discover a person, to follow Jesus Christ, to know him intimately, to to cultivate a relationship with Jesus. Because if all this is, is a duty, and it is not a means by which you get to know a person, you will never sustain all of the practical parts 
of walking with Jesus. It is practical, it is personal, and it is discipline. It's discipline. You work out your salvation with fear and trembling, Philippians 2. You train yourself. You apply effort to your relationship with Jesus Christ. 1 Timothy 4, 7, Paul says it like this. He says, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. Other versions say, train yourself for the purpose of godliness. The Greek word for that is gymnazo. Does that ring a bell? It's a word we often don't like in January. Well, we like it in January. We just don't like it in February. It's a word for gymnasium. It's, listen, listen to me. It's a sweaty word. It's a sweaty word. It's a word that means work. It's a word that means effort. It's a word that means discipline. I've, I've said this to you before. Our Christian life is, is like the only area of our life that we think we're going to make incredible progress without any discipline. We know that that's not true for any other area of life, but somehow we think if we coast in this life, we're going to be okay. It takes a daily discipline. It takes effort. It says we do this for the purpose of godliness. The goal is closeness to Jesus. The goal is intimacy with Jesus. So I have committed to be a follower of Jesus. What does that look like? It looks like these daily personal disciplines of putting myself in a position where I am close to Jesus and hearing from him. Donald Whitney says, discipline without direction is drudgery. That's a great, that's a great phrase. Discipline without direction is drudgery. So if you just choose to do all the disciplines without the end goal of experiencing the life of Jesus and knowing Jesus and making progress with Jesus and seeing Jesus show up in your life and your marriage and your family, then this will be drudgery. But if you realize that as you walk the way with Jesus and practice these disciplines, he is slowly and steadily and surely cultivating a depth of your relationship with him that will bear fruit in every area of your life, then all of a sudden these daily disciplines will not be drudgery. They will be a joy because you know you're cultivating this closeness to Jesus. You see, what I want you to think about when we talk about walking with Jesus is is making the abstract real and personal. When I say walking with Jesus, I mean you practically, daily, consistently, faithfully, personally disciplining yourself by these activities that cultivate closeness to Jesus Christ. It looks a little something like this. You wake up in the morning and your alarm goes off and you've said it a little bit earlier because you want to spend time to Jesus with Jesus. And at that very moment, literally the first moment of consciousness, you get an opportunity to deny yourself. Okay. Now, For a lot of people, denying yourself, taking up your cross, and following Jesus looks like being willing to die for Jesus. But we're American Christians in Bogart, Georgia. What it means for most of us is just getting up. That's the big deny yourself every day. Is sacrifice 30 minutes of sleep, which, by the way, usually starts with when you go to bed the night before. It's these little acts of saying, I'm going to choose right now to deny myself this sleep. Why? For the purpose of getting up and getting alone before everybody wakes up because I need something from Jesus. I want to follow Jesus. I want to know the life of Jesus. I want it manifested in my life. So, so we deny ourselves by going to bed a little bit earlier, by waking up a little bit more, and then we take up our cross. Meaning, 
that literally in that moment with Jesus, we say, Jesus, I have a schedule, I have plans, but I want you to know that right now I'm submitting myself to you. Like I, I'm, I, I want you to lead the way. I want what you want, not what I want. So if you want to wreck my plans today, I choose to follow you. I'm dying to myself, which is something we do daily. And Lord, right now I'm choosing by faith to follow you. I'm going to get myself in the way of Jesus. I'm going to learn what the way is, and I'm going to choose to to follow him. So you say, well, this seems so abstract to follow Jesus. No, it's getting up a little early, denying yourself, spending some time with the Lord, cultivating a relationship with him, and just practically walking with him throughout the day. So my heart for you in, in, in this new year for you to walk with Jesus. And in order to do that, I I really want us to equip you in some of these areas. So let me get really practical here for a minute. We're going to start this year with five sermons. So I'm doing an introductory sermon this morning on walking with Jesus. Next week, I'm going to talk about fasting. The next week, I'm going to, don't skip next week. Next week, the next week, I'm going to talk about prayer. And then we're going to talk about reading your Bible. We're going to talk about some very practical ways to get in your Bible. So I'm going to spend the first five weeks talking about these things. I also want to challenge you to read your Bible. Look at this right here. You see this? They're everywhere. They're out at all the doors. Here's what this is. This is a Bible reading schedule for 2020, okay? It has readings for five days a week, giving you two days to make up days that you've missed, okay? Now, if you read five days a week throughout this year, you'll read the entire New Testament in one year. You can do this. You can take 10 minutes a day to read through the New Testament. Some of you have never read all the way through the New Testament. This starts at Matthew 1, goes all the way to the end. I want to challenge you very practically to make a commitment to read through the Bible. You can take this Bible reading plan to read the New Testament in one year. Wouldn't it be amazing if not only in our discipleship groups, but if you showed up at community group every week and everybody had read the same passage and it was coming out and you were talking about that as you talked to other believers in the church, they were all reading the same thing. This is just as practical as it gets. And I know you're, you're thinking, well, I'm already a few days behind. That's okay. If you want to just skip to uh, Matthew 4 tomorrow, you can do that. Or if you're an overachiever, you can go back and read 1 through 3. No excuses, just start. Just start. The next thing is, is, is we are going to challenge you in a 21-day fast. Now, we're not asking all of you to fast for 21 days. Some of you just, just shut off your hearing aid. Leave it on for just a minute. Listen. Listen, listen, listen. I'm going to talk about this all next week. We fast because we're hungry for God. We want more of God. How many of you would like to see a breakthrough in your life in this year? A breakthrough in some area of your life, some breakthrough. And so what fasting does is it says, Lord, I'm more hungry for you and for these things than I am for food. So I will set aside some time eating and I will feast on your word to receive your direction and your wisdom and seek your favor. So we're not asking you to all fast for 21 days, but starting not tomorrow, but the next Monday, we're going to do a 21 day corporate fast. Don't worry. It ends the day before Super Bowl Sunday. But if you do the whole 21 days, don't end with seven layer dip. You will regret that. I promise you. And I'm going to talk about this more practically, but if you'll walk out of this room right to the right, you're going to see this massive whiteboard that says 21 day fast. And here's why we're asking you to go out, pick one day a week. One of you may say every Wednesday or every Tuesday and Wednesday or every Tuesday and Thursday or one day during the 21 days. We want you to put your initials on that so we can see how many people are fasting and praying throughout 21 days. And I've even given you a prayer guide that was in your bulletin so that we can seek the Lord together. Here's what we're asking God to do in the areas of worship, community, and mission. 
This is as practical as it gets. And I'm going to talk about fasting next week, but these are things we're asking you to do. And then January 24th and 25th, we're going to have this Friday night, Saturday morning, uh, continuing on to Sunday morning, prayer training. Prayer is, is for all of us the most difficult part of walking with Jesus. And so we want to practically train you on a Friday night and Saturday. We're asking you to get online and register for this. All of this exists to equip you to just walk with Jesus in this new year. When I was in 11th grade, there was a man by the name of Barry St. Clair who um, had kids at the school I went to, and he invited a few young men to meet with him every Thursday morning for a period of time at Chick-fil-A in Lilburn, Georgia, off of Highway 29, uh, to just mentor us. Now, I don't know all of his motives, but I know, I know two. One, he really wanted to invest in some young men, number one. Number two, my best friend was dating his daughter, and I was dating her best friend, and I think he, frankly, just wanted to figure out who we are and keep an eye on us. So I don't think it was totally, like, just pure motives. He just wanted to get us in a room and figure out who we were. And so he challenged us. Now, I, re- I remember this so vividly. The night before the first meeting on that Thursday morning, I was at the Fox Theater with my good friend Chris George seeing a concert. I'm not going to tell you who it was because you'll judge me. I wasn't walking with Jesus. I got home at 2 o'clock in the morning to Chris George's house in Stone Mountain, Georgia, and I knew that about three hours later, if I wanted to do this, the first meeting was that, was that next morning. I have no idea why. I'm telling you, I was not walking with Jesus, and this is not anything about me or Chris, but Chris did not get up. Some reason, not because I love Jesus, I got up and went. And over the next about six to eight months on those Thursday mornings, Barry St. Clair got with us, and let me tell you what he taught us. All he taught us was how to walk with Jesus. He taught me how to read my Bible. He taught me how to keep a journal. He taught me how to pray. He taught me how to invest in the lives of others. So by the time I was a senior, uh, I was having to take some underclassmen to do something very similar to this. That's all. He did nothing dramatic. He just taught me the basics of what it meant to walk with Jesus, the basics that many of us were never taught or challenged to do. And 28 years later, I'm still doing the same thing. 28 years later, it hasn't gotten any more complicated than this. Get up a little early, spend some time in the Word, learn how to pray, walk with Jesus. And I don't know why it is that in God's grace as 11th graders, someone taught me how to do that, but that's exactly how it works. And the reason I keep doing it to this very day, listen to this, the reason I keep doing it is because I have discovered that everything else in life flows out of my personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I am a husband, I am a father, I'm a pastor, I'm a leader of staff. In all of these things, they all demand me walk with Jesus. Now, I'm not trying to overstate this, I'm just saying it as how God is called a pastor. The direction and health of our church, to much part, depends on my personal walk with Jesus. The health of my marriage depends on my personal walk with Jesus. My relationship with my children depends on my personal walk. Everything flows out of this. And so 28 years later from learning this, I'm still aware that this little act of self-denial by getting up a little bit early in the morning, spending time with Jesus, everything is flowing out of that. 
that if I want to experience the life of Jesus, I got to get on the way of Jesus. And I have to practically, daily, personally, consistently just walk with Jesus. Because I am convinced, after all these years, the truth of John 15, 5, when Jesus says this, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. There is no good fruit coming from my life. It doesn't come from a close connection of walking intimately with Jesus. So I just want to plead with you to give Jesus some time this year. Give Jesus some time. Give him more time. If you've already been giving it, go deeper. Jesus is ahead of every one of us, calling us, summoning us to follow him, receive the invitation, make a commitment to daily, practically take advantage of all the things we're offering and simply walk with Jesus and come to discover that all of the things you're longing to see about the life of Jesus come as we walk closely with him for a long period of time. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes this morning.